Welcome to Redeemer's Church Weekly Message Podcast, where our mission is simple. We are a church that is passionate about loving God and loving people. And now, we hope you enjoyed this week's message by Pastor Caleb Schaefer. So we are in week four of this series that Beth and Allison both referenced uh, called Follow Me, where we've been really just focusing in on what it really means to follow Jesus, which is the invitation that Jesus extends to everybody. And I just want to reiterate at the beginning that this invitation is still the invitation that Jesus is reaching out to you with. This was not an invitation just for the early disciples. This is still the invitation of Jesus to come and follow him. And so what does that look like? What does it look like to be a follower? Well, first and foremost, That means that when you choose to accept that invitation, you are wanting to be known by him and by others as a disciple. A disciple. And that disciple means multiple things. Number one, it means that you move beyond belief. Beyond belief. James 2.19, we talked about it the first week. Even demons believe and shudder. Okay? So if you... Just stay in that lane. Look at the company. (laughs) Okay, the second is this, that you serve. Jesus said in Mark, he said, the Son of Man came to serve, not to be served. And last week we talked about becoming students of God's word. Students are not just taught. Students accept the role and responsibility on their shoulders to learn what is being taught. I just want to make a note because we, didn't, we couldn't go here last week, but I want to use this as a segue to transition into where we're going. But Paul expressed the essence of what a student disciple looked like in Acts chapter 17, verse 11. It says, now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. Why? For they received the message with great eagerness, but it didn't stop there. They didn't just come, they didn't watch a YouTube video and say, man, that's good. They didn't come on Sunday morning, man, that that pastor preached a good word. No, they were of more noble character, not because they received it with great eagerness, but they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul was talking about was actually true. Isn't it interesting that Paul said that they were of more noble character? That seems to suggest that not being a student is a character issue. (laughs) Right? I want people to door dash the word to me. I want to Uber eat the word. I don't want to go and get it. The examination, he said they were of more noble character. They didn't just receive it, but they studied to show themselves approved. They studied to make sure that Paul wasn't lying to them. How y'all know that I'm lying to you or not? Okay. So what that means is that disciples are not just learners, they are appliers. 
They learn so that they can apply it to their lives. They learn so that they can put it into practice. And this is what Jesus desired for them. John chapter 8, verse 31, listen to what Jesus says here. So Jesus was saying to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, by the way, he said to the Jews who had believed. So they were in the belief lane. Now he's saying, hey, you got to take it further. If you want to follow me, if you want to be a disciple, here's one of the ways you do that. If you abide in my word, this is the amplified translation, which means you continually obey my teachings and live in accordance with them, then you are truly my disciples. Then. What does it mean to live in accordance with Jesus' teachings? It means that your life shows that you agree with what Jesus taught. What is the word that we use in Sunday morning environments to show that we agree with what was taught? Amen. So what does it mean that you live in accordance with the teachings of Jesus? It means that your life amends more Jesus' teachings than your mouth. That you, I'm giving you something for Twitter right now. I'm, get, I'm, get, I'm just throwing it out there. It means that your life is also amening what Jesus taught. Not just your mouth. That's a good word. No. Does your life show that? Does your life show that you agree with Jesus' teachings? Not just in principle or concept, but in reality. To follow Jesus is to move beyond belief, to serve, and to become students of Jesus' teachings, to then apply them in your life. And so this morning, for our final message in this series, I want to focus on two other characteristics of disciples of Jesus, and here they are. Disciples of Jesus live set apart, but also seeking after. If you notice that every emphasis in the series has been an S word. Serve, students of God. Seeking after and set apart. Set apart, but seeking after. Let's talk about that, but before we do, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word again. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that this book is so timeless. How is it that over 2,000 years, people have been pulling things out of this book that are still relevant, still powerful, still influential, still true? So, Lord, that's what we're doing today. We're going back to the book. We're opening it. And, God, as we read it, I thank you that it reads us, that it's living and active, sharper than every double-edged sword, penetrating soul and spirit, joint and marrow, judging the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So God, as we open up your word, I know that we are exposing ourselves to something that can transform us. And so God, as we read your word this morning, I pray that would take place because we all know that every single one of us needs to be more and more like you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. There are several metaphors used to describe what takes place 
when someone meets Jesus and is saved. We see all of these metaphors in church environments, but we also see them in the word. For example, we see that one of the metaphors is that people are born again or born of the spirit. Jesus said that, by the way. You need to be born again. You must be born again. It's not enough to have a natural birth without a spiritual birth. You must be born again. That's one of the metaphors. Number one, two, the lost are found. Another one, the sheep come home to the shepherd. These are all metaphors in scripture. The prodigal is now home. Peter says in his own letter in 1 Peter 2 verse 9, that Jesus calls us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He goes on to say in 1 Peter 2.11 that we are now, this is, this is so important, we are now, say now, we are now foreigners, aliens, and strangers in this world. Cue, this is my temporary home from Carrie Underwood. If you don't know, just Google it. Foreigners, aliens, and strangers. Old Pentecostal preachers, if you grew up in a Pentecostal environment, you might have heard a preacher say that Jesus plucked you out of the pits of hell. But as we consider all of these metaphors, we have to wonder what the purpose of being born again, of the lost being found, of being called out of darkness into his marvelous light and being plucked out of the pits of hell is. One of the answers to that purpose Jesus saving you and rescuing you and redeeming you and forgiving you is to then, listen, to live set apart. To live set apart. Jesus speaks to this in John chapter 17, by the way. John chapter 14 through 17 is the record of what Jesus shared with his disciples at the Last Supper. As he closes this teaching, he begins to pray for his disciples. Now normally Jesus would go away by himself and pray alone, but now he's praying in front of them, and I believe one of the purposes behind Jesus praying these things in front of them was to give them a little bit of a look of what it looked like and what he would pray when he was alone with the Father. So in, in this, this cha these chapters, we see Jesus revealing his heart to his disciples to live set apart. Verse 14 of John chapter 17. I have given them your word. He's talking to God now. And the world has hated them. Because they are not of the world. Even as I am not of the world. I watch this one. I love this. For all you, I want the rapture to happen tomorrow. I do not ask you to take them out of the world but to keep them from the evil one. Jesus did not call you to follow him to isolate you from the world that you live in because that isolation is also all often insulation where you're sheltered in place and the only places you go to are places where everybody thinks like you and acts like you and talks like you. He doesn't want you to isolate yourself. He said, I, 
I know you're not of the world anymore because I've called you out. However, God, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but simply keep them from the evil one. Verse 16, they are not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, watch this, I also have sent them into the world now. For their sakes, I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. What was Jesus revealing to his disciples in this moment? Jesus was making it clear that when he came to them and invited them to follow him, things would change if they accepted the invitation. When you accept the invitation to follow him, you are walking away from one world and entering into another. You are relocating where you come from. When you accept Jesus' invitation to follow him, Jesus does not just become your rabbi, your Lord, and your Savior, but he is also pulling you out of the world, and as a result, we are to live separate or set apart from the world we once lived in. He said, you are no longer of the world, you're just in it. It's a change of address. At our house, <laughs> at our house, we've been there for 14 years now. And we still get mail from the previous owner. True story. Evidently, he never changed his address. When you come to follow Jesus, you got to change your address. Here's the truth. The truth of why we compartmentalize our faith to a Sunday is because we're still in the world and we're just coming out of it to go somewhere else on Sunday morning. But when you change your address, you change where you come from, you're not coming out of the world to go to church on Sunday. You are going, you're coming from where you are now into the world to go to work on Monday through Friday. It's a change of address. It's a change of where you now are. Did you not see that Jesus said, I am sending them back into the world now that I pulled them out of? In the same way that you, Father, sent me back in. How are we to live set apart? Jesus said in verse 16 and 17, they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. Verse 17, so sanctify them in the truth. Your word is the truth. What is sanctify? It's a Greek word that literally means set them apart. Jesus' prayer for his disciples was, to be set apart. How are they set apart? They are set apart by the truth. By this truth that Jesus was preaching. And he said, your word is that truth. When you accept Jesus' invitation to follow him, you go from belonging to the world to then belonging to Jesus. And because you belong to Jesus, you live set apart by that truth. Is this making sense? 
trying to make it plain. To live set apart means you are in the world, but you are no longer of the world. To live set apart, to be in the world, but not of the world, is to be exactly like Jesus. Jesus was in the world, but you know he wasn't from the world. He wasn't of the world. He came in because the Father sent him. So now I pray, Father, that in the same way you sent me, I'm going to send my disciples into the world because they're not from this place anymore. Jesus said in verse 16, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So what does it mean to live set apart? Number one, set apart means that you are set apart from the sin and values of the world. Let me make this clear. We are not to live set apart from the world. We're to live set apart from the sin of the world and the values of the world. When you live set apart from the whole world, you insulate and isolate yourself. It's the values in the sin. Do you know that the world has values and a mindset and a way of going about things? He said, be set apart from that, from those values. Okay, we're not to live separate from the world, but to be set apart from it. Romans 12, 2 speaks to this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. What is pattern? Pattern is the way of thinking and way of behaving. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How many of you have had or have young kids right now? Everybody in the room have had or have young kids, vast majority. Okay, you ever been around other kids and you see the way they're behaving and your thought is, my kid ain't hanging out with them. One of my favorite things I've ever heard is from one of my best friends. I'm not going to say his name, but it just still, to this day cracks me up. He said, if your kids are crazy, we can't be friends. <laughs> Somebody's like, duck in and just like, I need, this is my time to leave. But the reason why you won't let your kids hang out with anybody is because more than likely they will conform or conform is another word for be shaped by that behavior. And I'm not bringing that home. You guys know this. You guys know that when you have young kids, you know in certain environments, there's going to be a couple of days of detox. You just know it. If they hang out there or around them, there's going to be a couple of days where you got to be on them to remove every single thing that shaped them for the time they were away from you. And you also, you're wondering, is it really worth it? It's not worth it. It's not worth it. We can't be friends. I'm sorry. The world has a pattern, a way of thinking, a way of behaving that can shape you. It has a way that can shape you and a behavior that will shape you. Because, listen, 
You don't let them play with that kid because you know their behavior will shape your kid's behavior. And this is exactly what Jesus was urging them about. You can't be in this world, or you can be in it, but you can't be of it. Because if you're too about it, it will shape the way you think and the way you behave. And that is in contradiction to my teachings. 1 John 2, 15 and 16 kind of identifies the pillars of the way that the world thinks and behaves. Number uh, 1 John 2, 15 and 16. Do not love. You know what that word love right there is? Agape. John was saying, don't love the world the way you love God. You know what agape means? Without condition. What do you accept from the way the world thinks and behaves without any condition? Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, whoa, love for the Father is not even in them. Yikes. Verse 16, for everything in the world, what's the everything? The values are this, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And here's why you can't love the world for those things, because that's not where it comes from. Doesn't come from the Father. That does not come from the Father but from the world. Listen to me this morning. When you choose to follow Jesus, there will be moments where your separation from the world will be tested. Where you have to break your allegiance and say, nope, I'm sorry, I'm not about that. Let me give you an example. About 23 years ago, my mind's really sharp. I took my ginkgo biloba this morning. 23, 23. About 23 years ago, a friend of mine invited me to, and I, I shared this with Chris Harrison, and a friend of mine invited me to a billiard hall called Shooters. Anybody ever play pool at Shooters? Anybody? Okay, this was the Shooters off of Bryce Road. So I meet my friend there. We hadn't seen each other for a while. I meet my friend there, and we start playing pool. Good time, having fun. And all of a sudden, this lady comes in. And um, I pay no attention to her until she started to strip. Evidently, it was some, some old guy had a birthday party with all of his like co-workers and we're playing pool and right behind the pool table is where the other festivities are taking place and I have a decision to make do I stay in the environment because nobody else will know but me and my friend as this is going on, by the way, like my rational mind, I'm like, did you get the manager's permission? Like how, how is this? It was like, this was a, a movie or something. I'm like, how is this happening right now? Is this, is this happening? 
So I'm playing pool, and I got a decision make to make. Do I stay or do I go? Should I stay or should I go now? <laughs> it's a secular song. It's demonic. Should I stay or should I go? My friend is not whispering in my ear like, bro, um, are you seeing what I'm seeing? He's acting like it's normal. But I got a decision to make. Am I going to be of the world or am I just going to be in the world and make a stance where I break the allegiance and say, I'm following Jesus. I'm not staying around for this. So I went to my friend. And I said, hey, man, I just got to let you know I can't be around this. I got to go. And it was awkward and it was really uncomfortable because we were exposing the really big elephant in the room. I left. He stayed. And that's what shook me the most. I thought he would have said, you're right, man, let's go. But he stayed to finish the game. Homie wasn't staying to finish the game, Jim. You know what's even sadder about it? That individual is the one that invited me to Redeemer's Church. How? There are moments where your set-apartness will be tested, where it needs to be a line in the sand, where you make a choice as to whether or not you're really following him or you're just acting like it. You've got to be set apart from the sin and values of the world. Paul captures the essence of this in 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 17. He said, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? That's the devil, the root of the sin in the world. Or what does a believer have in common with a believer? What agreement? Paul's like hitting it home again and again and again. Let, hey, let me give you a metaphor you'll get. I'm just going to throw all of them out there. What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will live with them, and they will walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Watch verse 17. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate. Be set apart, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. Come out from among them and be separate. So to live set apart is to live separated from the sin and the values of the world. But it's also this, to be set apart to do God's will. Listen, you know where people lose their dedication to Jesus? They're set apart from something without being set apart to something. When you're just set apart from something without being set apart to something... You don't even know why. What's the point? You got to be set apart to something. Think about Nehemiah when he came home and he started to rebuild the wall. 
he was up on the top of the wall, and Sam Balak came to him and kept on prodding him to come down. And what did Sam, uh, Nehemiah, he looked at him on the ladder and said, I am doing a good work up here. I don't have time for you. I'm not coming down. What he was set apart from was not enough for him. He had to be set apart to something. And when he was set apart to that purpose, it was enough fuel to keep him from coming down. When you're set apart from something without being set apart to something, it's only a matter of time before you lose your focus and dedication in following Jesus because it won't be worth it. You will think like you're just, <laughs> you, it's like, you're just like um, torturing yourself. So we're set apart from sin and values of the world, but we're also set apart to do God's will. When you live to accomplish God's will, you willingly choose to live set apart from things that get in the way of that. Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, people cast off restraint. God's will is the vision that will keep you from casting off restraint. It is. Which brings me to another point that has nothing to do with the message. I shared this several years ago at a youth leaders retreat, but it's still true today. Every single one of us in this room needs a demand on our shoulders. We need the weight of something on our shoulders to contribute to the kingdom because you will be, under, you will be better under that demand than you are without it. Because the demand will demand an accountability from you that other situations wouldn't. If you're not giving yourself to something, if you're not serving, if you're not doing something, don't wonder why your character is misaligned. Because you don't have a demand on your shoulders that is pulling the best out of you. We are better under the yoke. It requires more out of us. Romans 12, 2. This is in the New Living Translation. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Watch this. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. You want to know God's will? Live set apart from the world's values, and then you'll understand it. Doing God's will is as much about who you are becoming as it is about what you are doing. Jesus lived set apart to do God's will. Luke twenty-two forty-two. Luke twenty-two forty-two. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. The crucifixion is pending. He gets on his knees and he says, Father, if it's possible... Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not. Not my will, but your be done. Yours be done. He was set apart to do the will of the father. Not my will, but yours be done. So to live set apart is to live, live set apart from the sin of the world and set apart to do God's will. But listen to me this morning. Jesus did not just invite his disciples to live set apart 
for the sake of living set apart. This is what the Jews were already about. Let me give you a little bit of a history. Because God made it clear that the Jewish people were his chosen people, that belief impacted the way they lived in multiple ways. And one of the major ways it impacted them was that it caused them not to just live set apart, but also secluded, segregated, and separated from every single other person. They came to view everyone else as an inferior race because we're God's chosen people. The fact that they were God's chosen people created a collective arrogance among them because what they would always say is, we're the seed of Abraham. We can trace our ancestry back to Father Abraham, the founder of our, of our nation. We are God's chosen people. And guess who doesn't have that seed? You. You can never be like us. Na 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 boo boo. And here's the thing it produced an arrogance that made people just hate Jewish people because you were less than, because you weren't the seeds of Abraham. Now, because they were God's chosen people, they also saw everybody else as unclean and dirty because they were clean and pure. That's why the Samaritans, who were actually half Jewish, they called half breeds. You're not as clean as us. You're like halfway clean because you're not the pure race of Jew. You're half of it. We're clean, we're pure, you're unclean, and you're dirty. That's why when Jesus spoke to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, the disciples were shocked. Not because he was talking to a woman, but he was talking to a woman that happened to be a Samaritan. So, double dirty on you, Jesus. What are you doing? You don't just talk to women alone, let alone a Samaritan woman. Jewish people would purposely do the best they could to not even associate with people who weren't Jews. That's why when Jesus said, let us go through Samaria, the disciples were like, um, you must have not had the, 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 the most recent download of Google Maps because they've changed the way you go. You don't go through, you go around. The Jews would deliberately go around Samaria, which happens to be smack dab in the middle of Israel, just to make the statement, we're not, we're not about that. They're dirty, we're clean. So as a result, they saw everyone else as clean. Lastly, they saw everyone else as unclean because they could never be candidates of God's forgiveness and redemption. If you're not the seed of Abraham, guess what? The Messiah is not coming for you. Do you know the Jews were never trying to convert anybody? There was no such thing as a Jewish evangelist. Nobody was walking around saying, hey, if you just believe in Messiah, you'll be grafted into the vine. Never. That's called proselytizing. They didn't do it. It was a, Judaism is an ethnic religion, which means you're born Jewish or you're not. And they were like, we're the seeds of Abraham. The Messiah's coming for us to forgive us, to save us, to rescue us, to redeem us. But all y'all, sorry. So they lived set apart from everybody, but Jesus was not calling them to live set apart just for the sake of living set apart. 
to accept Jesus' invitation to follow him is to accept his invitation to live set apart, but also to seek after. Jesus' set apart was not to keep them isolated and secluded from the world around them, but to make them more effective in seeking after those in the world that they were called out of. Jesus wanted his followers to live separate from the world so that they could be more effective in being sent to those among them who were still lost in the world. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke 10, 19. He said this, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He goes on to say in Matthew chapter 9, listen to this. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, notice the way that they described these people because they're not clean, we're clean. The Pharisees saw this and they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Jesus heard this. He said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. If there's anything that Jesus was accused of by the Jews, it was that he was not living set apart enough. You're not set apart enough, but he didn't come to just be set apart. He came to be set apart so that he could seek after. It's the combination of both. Jesus came to seek and save the lost, the hurting, the needy, the unchurched. He did not come for the healthy. He came for the sick. And when we think that following Jesus means separating ourselves from the world, we are missing the purpose for why Jesus wants us to live set apart. We are called to live set apart to make us more effective as we are sent into the world that he's called us out of. We're not called just to be a light among light. Listen, we're not called to just be salt among salt. We are called to be in the world, but not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world, so... Help them to live set apart in the truth. And the truth is your word is the truth. As you sent me into the world, I've also sent them into the world. This is what it means to be set apart, but seeking after. When you accept the invitation to follow Jesus, he is inviting you to be set apart, but also seeking after lost people. One of the tragedies of the body of Christ is that people can be all lost all the while being surrounded by set-apart people. This is a true story. I want to read this. This is unreal. The Times reporter of New Philadelphia, Ohio, reported in September 1985 a celebration of a New Orleans municipal pool. The party around the pool was held to celebrate the first summary in memory, summer, in memory, without a drowning at the New Orleans City Pool. In honor of this occasion, 200 people gathered, including 100 certified lifeguards. As the party was breaking up and the four lifeguards on duty began to clear the pool, 
they found a fully dressed body in the deep end. They tried to revive Jerome Moody, who was 31 years old, but it was too late. He had drowned surrounded by lifeguards celebrating a successful season. And this is what it looks like with the body of Christ in all of these places, with all of these lost people, unchurched people all around. They're drowning, and we're just celebrating being insulated and isolated. We're not supposed to live set apart for the sake of living set apart. We live set apart so that we can seek after and be more effective in how we're reaching. Do you know that people, they don't care about what you would have to say if life looks exactly different or exactly the same? Your life has to look different. If I could impart anything to everybody in the room, this would be my prayer to Jesus. Lord, I pray that every sphere that people would walk into, they would live with this weight on their shoulders that they want to represent you well. That, that everywhere that they go, they want to prove every misconception about Jesus wrong. They want to they go into an environment carrying a weight of responsibility. You know, every time I walk into Scottwood Elementary School, that's how I feel. I am here to prove every single thing that is untrue about Jesus wrong. And not by what I say, but how I am. By the way that I am with you, by the way that I talk to you, by the way that I honor you, by the way that I respect you. There's no power in hypocrisy. Do you know what it means to live set apart? Be holy as he is holy. There's something wrong in the body of Christ if holiness is a, a doctrine of one or two denominations. What about now? Peter said, be holy as he is holy. What is holiness? It's living set apart. It's not living a contaminated life. Because when you live a contaminated life, you di dilute your power, authority, and anointing. Be holy as he is holy. Now, Betty, if only God could provide us with something that would, uh, that would empower us to live set apart, but also to give us the boldness to seek after people. Jesus, John chapter 17, after he's showed them how he prays for them and shares all of these things, he then is arrested and he is tried and then he's crucified. And scripture tells us that the sheep scatter. And the next time, do you know the next time where Jesus finds his disciples? Sheltered in place. In a room, isolated, secluded, separated, seg segregated from every single other person. They're hiding. Why are they hiding? Because they're, gonna, they're afraid that what happened to Jesus is about to happen to them. And Jesus walks through the wall, and among other things, he says this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. 
go back to Jerusalem and wait for power from on high. Why? So that you can be my witnesses. So you can be set apart, but seeking after people. Who are you witnessing to if every single person you're around believes in Jesus? He said, go and wait for power on high so that you will be my witnesses. Listen, the Holy Spirit is what empowers the disciples to live set apart, but also seeking after. The Holy Spirit is what will make you holy. There's something, it's weird. When we think about the Holy Spirit, we tend to just believe and think about speaking in tongues and the gifts. He's the Holy Spirit. He's the Holy Spirit. His goal and mission is not to just give you gifts and to speak in tongues and to fall out, but to make you holy. To make you just like Jesus was holy. Jesus could sit among sinners, but he could still be set apart. He could be holy in unholy situations and not be moved or unfazed. Uh, He was unfazed by everything that was going on. Why? Because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. If you want the Holy Spirit to move, you better be ready for him to make you holy. For him to not tolerate everything going on in your life. This Instagram quote was so good. It's by a guy named Shane Pruitt. He said, tears, Holy Spirit, goosebumps, and crowds aren't the evidence of true revival. Revival is evident when God's people get serious about the calling on their life to know him and make him known. When the church repents, obeys, and walks in holiness, cities and nations will be changed. It's not about coming up and getting blasted and then going back home and not being any different. It's about the fact, and by the way, I'm telling you, listen, I hope that some of you guys, after what I'm about to say, are like, I'm not, I don't really don't want the Holy Spirit. Then why are you even here? But I'm telling you, if you really want the Holy Spirit, he will not leave you alone about the things in your life that are not holy. He will, it will either be delight or it will be torment. And you'll want to go to the room and have Betty cast the Holy Spirit out of you because you don't like the fact that he will not leave you alone. I need deliverance from the Holy Spirit. He won't leave me alone. He is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't here to make us feel good. He's here to make us like Jesus. He's here to make us holy as he is holy and give us the boldness so that we can go and be in the world, but not of the world. We can be set apart, but surrounded by people that don't believe in Jesus and not cater or be conformed by the ideas and behaviors of the world and not cower for what we believe in. But to stand in faithful dedication to Jesus in the midst of the most ungodly situations. We're not set apart for the sake of just being set apart. We are set apart 
so that we can still be seeking after people. And God gives us the Holy Spirit to have the boldness to do it and to be holy as he is holy. Will you stand with me? Listen, following Jesus is striking the balance between seeking after the lost while also being set apart from the world. This is the essence of what Jesus said when he said, you are to be in the world, but not of the world. If I could have the prayer teams come forward this morning. A couple of different people that uh, I just want to invite you forward this morning for prayer. The first is this. Those that have been set apart, but not seeking after. Those who have just been secluded, isolated, and insulated from the world. We're just going to hunker down and wait this thing out. you got to count down to the rapture on your calendar in your kitchen. And you're just waiting for God to get you out of here. When Jesus said, I'm not asking to get them out of the world, but to simply be protected from the evil one as they're in it. So I want to pray for you. I want the prayer teams to pray for you. If you've been convicted that you've been set apart, but you haven't been seeking after anybody. Other person I want to pray for in the room is someone's like, I haven't been set apart at all. I've been, I've been believing in Jesus. But my mindset and my behavior is in contradiction to Jesus. You know what I found? This will be a chapter in my book one day. People love Jesus. They just don't like what he talked about. That's all. I love Jesus. I just don't like anything he said. Where do you think it came from? Is that even possible? Some people are like, I just, I haven't been set apart at all. There is no distinction. When I'm around my friends that don't come to church, I am the same person. I take off my church face and I put on my real face. And then I want to pray for those in the room that just, they need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to live set apart and to be bold. Listen, being bold does not require you to be arrogant. It just requires that you stand for what you believe and you draw a line in humility. I'm sorry, I'm just not doing that. I just don't, that's just not what I believe. I love being around guys that I'm hanging around with and they say they know I'm a pastor and then they say stuff and they're like, oh, I'm sorry. And I'm like, why are you apologizing? I'm not expecting in my mind. I'm like, I'm not expecting you to be holy. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to be you and let me be me. And I want to pray for the fourth person. I want to pray for anybody in the room that has never given their life to Jesus. And if it's not never given their life to Jesus, it's I've believed in Jesus, but I haven't followed Jesus. And I want to I want to make a decision today to put my 
allegiance in Jesus's hands. You know what I felt like the Lord just said is that there are some people in the room that believed in multiple things. They got a they got a buffet of religious beliefs. And the Lord is saying, it's either me or nothing. And so if you fit into one of those categories, I want to invite you to come forward after I pray. Will you bow your heads, close your eyes? God, I just thank you so much for the truth of your word. God, I thank you that your word clearly, clearly identifies what it means to truly be a disciple. That we don't have to wonder. That we don't have to, we don't have to try to do this thing without knowing the way to follow because you paved that path. So God, I pray over every single person in the room today. I pray that they would respond to you and the way you've been pulling on their hearts today. God, that they would be obedient to the tug. That they would be not resistant to what you are speaking to them and you are highlighting and you are pointing out. God, I pray that Redeemer's Church would not be hypocritical, we'd be holy. We would be set apart, and our holiness would look like humility. God, that we would be holy, but we would be humble. God, that we wouldn't boast about it, and we wouldn't be arrogant about it, but we would be people about the Father's business in the same way that you were about the Father's business. And I pray that you would place on those in the room that are willing a mantle to carry the call to be light in the darkness to be salt in the world, to represent you well, to recognize the moments where you are taking a, we're taking a stance for you. We are being an example, and we're being a light. God, that we would walk in that. I pray we would come out from among them and be separate, Lord. And Father, only by your wonderful glorious, amazing Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, that you gave us that gift, that we were not left alone, but God, the Holy Spirit transforms us to be holy and gives us the boldness and the courage to make the stands where we need to. So God, we welcome your Holy Spirit this morning. We embrace everything that you have for us. God, I pray that Redeemer's Church would continue to be disciples that follow you into this week, this month, this year, and the future, Lord. That we would be that remnant church in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. We hope you were challenged, encouraged, and inspired as you listened to this teaching from God's word. For more messages or information about our church, please go to www.redeemers.life.